Let's get into the word. Are you ready? We are in the final installment of Check Your Pace. And um, today, I just want to, I want to wrap it all up. I want to bring it all home for you. Because the sermon I'm going to preach today is really the heart of this, of this series. Uh, this series has all, all been about if we want to run our race like Jesus, we need to set our pace like Jesus. We need to live like he lived. We need to do the things that he did. We need to develop the habits and patterns that he developed. And he ran a pace that wasn't crazy and wasn't frantic and wasn't worried and wasn't hurried and wasn't mad. It was just, it was a steady calm, peaceful pace. And that's the kind of pace that we need to run. So today I'm going to preach a sermon that's going to help you, especially if you've been overwhelmed, depleted, exhausted, and burnt out. I'm going to help you with the gospel of Jesus as we explore his pace. So I want to just start right in the midst of a story. This is a story in the life of Jesus, an event that took place in the life of Jesus that could have so easily been overlooked because it didn't it didn't bring about anything miraculous. It wasn't, uh, there were no angels, there were no trumpets, there were no lights, there were no, not, no miracles, nothing, nothing like that. This story that we're going to explore today is a picture of a conversation between Jesus and a couple of his friends. But packed in the middle of this conversation was a powerful and deep insight that will transform your life if you'll get a hold of it today. So let's just dive right in. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they, they had been traveling and they were ministering all over Galilee and all around Jerusalem. As they were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, somebody say Martha. Martha opened her home to him. Now, now let me just pause for a minute. This was Martha's house. Like in the first century for the woman to own the home, that meant something. Martha was a boss. Martha was a get-it-done kind of person. Mary lived with Martha. Lazarus probably lived with Martha. Martha was the head of this household. These were her siblings. Martha was somebody that she would want to push. Martha would have been a CEO if she lived today. She, She was a person that knew how to get things done. Martha opened her home to him. Now, Martha had a sister called Mary. Somebody say Mary. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, Mary is somebody who likes to just soak it in. Mary is somebody who wants to enjoy the words of Jesus. She's nourished on the words of Jesus. She's refreshed by the spirit of Jesus. She's somebody who soaks in the presence of Jesus. So Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, now let me just focus on this for a minute. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with doing, but there's something wrong with being distracted by doing. Martha was distracted by all of the good things that she had to do. Now, now we can serve with joy and we can serve with humility. We can serve with gratitude or we can serve with frustration, bitterness, and angst. There's a couple different ways to serve. Martha had gotten distracted by all of the good things, all of the things that had to be done. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come help me. Now, let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand. Please don't, actually. Anybody have that martyr in their life? That person who kind of sees themselves as a martyr? Let me me put it this way. 
The person who's always like telling you how hard their life is. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, do you, do you know how hard I work? Do you know how difficult my life, that person, you know, and you want to (laughs) go, you want to go, Hey, come on down off the cross. We need the wood. All right. Um, Martha, Martha's having a, don't say that though, but don't say that to them at that moment. Okay. Or else you'll be doing marital counseling over here. (laughs) So, so Martha's having a martyr moment. She's like, I'm doing all the work around here. And look at Mary. She's not doing anything. Jesus, tell her to come and help, help me. Jesus gently and tenderly backs her down. He says, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha, Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, he says, only, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. For the next very few moments today, I'm going to preach on the topic, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. A good friend of mine many years ago told me a story. He lives up in Washington, and he's a hunter, Uh, not as a living, but he goes out and hunts. And he was out during deer season, and he wanted to get a deer because he wanted to dress the deer and and put the deer meat in the freezer and have some venison steaks and and venison jerky and all this kind of stuff, venison burgers and all that kind of thing. So he was out hunting and he was in the tree stand. And if you've ever been deer hunting, I've been, uh, I've been a few times, uh, no deer have been harmed in my hunting experiences, but, uh, no deer have yet. mind. I'll just leave that alone. Uh, so my friend is out hunting deer and he hears a crackle in the woods. He hears the leaves and he becomes alert. His heart starts beating. His eyes get focused. He starts to think, okay, this is my opportunity. He, he puts his rifle up on the edge of the deer stand. And sure enough, through the woods comes this eight-point buck deer. This beautiful deer comes walking through the woods. My friend is so excited because it's just so rare that this happens. He's got his rifle pointed at the deer. He's looking through the scope. He's got his crosshairs right behind the shoulder on the deer. He's re- getting ready to take this deer down. And right before he pulls the trigger, he hears something else, another crackling. And out of the corner of his eye, in his peripheral vision, he sees another deer. And out of his peripheral vision, it looks like the second deer is bigger than the first deer. He's got an eight-point buck in his sights, but this might be a ten-point buck. So he quickly, quietly, swiftly swivels his rifle over to the larger deer. But when the scope focuses in on the larger deer, he discovers something to his dismay. It was a smaller deer. It wasn't a 10-point buck. It was about a six-point buck. The six points are the points on the top, the horns, okay? Antlers, I think they call them. He's looking now. He goes, oh, man, I got a six-point buck in my sight, but I had an eight-point in my sight. Now, to see two bucks in the same region, this is very rare. But now he's going, okay, what do I do? Do I pull the trigger and get my deer, or do I come back over here to this eight-point buck? In a split second, he says, I'm going to swivel back over here to my eight-point buck. He swings the rifle back to the eight-point buck, but the eight-point buck has been noticing some swiveling around and some movement in the deer stand. So the eight-point buck turns around and trots off into the trees. His white tail just disappears up into the trees. All the Bambi people are like, thank God. (laughs) 
The eight-point buck has trotted off in the woods. My friend is now panicking. He says, man, I got to get at least get the six-point buck. He swings back over to the six-point buck. Six-point buck says, man, there's just too much activity around here. And he's gone through the woods. My friend walked away from his deer hunting season that year empty-handed. What? <laughs> if you eat hamburgers, don't get self-righteous on this story. All right? What I love about this story is that it illustrates a reality that we all experience, and that is this. We are too easily distracted. We are too easily distracted. You and I, we, we, we're achievers. We like to do things. We like to achieve things. We like to accomplish things. We like to get things done. We're, in a way, we're like, we're like Martha. We want to get stuff done. We have goals for ourselves. We, we, we have... We have we have spiritual goals. We have financial goals. But when we have financial goals, sometimes we get distracted because we end up wanting to buy things and accumulate things that take us off of the path that we were on. We start to, we start to spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. Anybody ever been there? We, we just get off the path. We get distracted. When it comes to our health goals, a lot of, a lot of times we set health goals, but we get distracted. We get distracted. We go over to Mi Ranchito, and then they ask you if you want churros and ice cream at the end of that meal. You're like, man, I had tilapia, but now I'm going to have some churros. You get distracted from your health goals, your family goals. You want to spend more time with your family, but you get distracted by work. You got one more email. Let me just send this one more email. Let me just get this one more text out. Let me just get this one more memo done. I, I just be at the office for one more. What happens is we get distracted. We make too many commitments, and, it, and it's not necessarily by bad stuff. It's good stuff. We've got too many commitments, too many work commitments, too many social commitments, too, too, too much time on social media. We, got too much YouTube. we have too much stuff coming at us, and we have too many commitments, and we get distracted from the main thing. We take our eyes off the prize. And what happens is we end up getting frustrated and overwhelmed because we end up empty-handed at the end of the day. We end up going, man, I had all these dreams and goals and aspirations, and here I am, and I have not accomplished any of them because I had too many of them, and I was pursuing all of them at the same time, and I never landed and got a hold of what I needed to get a hold of. If, if this is you or somebody you know, if you've experienced this or somebody you know has experienced this, you're in the right place today because this is exactly the situation that one of Jesus' dear friends found herself in. She was distracted by too many good things. She took her eyes off the prize. Let, let's look back at what it says in verse 40. It says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. If you're taking notes, write this down. Don't let good things distract you from the main thing. Don't let good things distract you from the main thing. Many years ago, we had a, a picnic and baptism service. Some of you might remember this. Several years ago, we said, we're going to have a baptism service combined with a picnic. It'll be so amazing. We'll go out into the park, and we'll, we'll have a chili cook-off, and we'll have this great day, and we'll baptize people. And so we announced it week after week after week, and people got their chili ready, and we got, the, we got T-shirts ready, and we got the coolers ready, and we got everything ready, and people had, you know, the jello 
cake with all the different layers and all that and the scalloped potatoes and all the different stuff that came along with it. And we got out to the picnic and we're, we're all out there and the, and the baptism team's all there. They're ready to go. They got their shirts on there. They're ready to baptize. We got the baptismal candidates there. We got everything there and we get to the moment of baptism and I turn to somebody that was helping to organize it and I go, do we have a tank for water? I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Some of you remember this. And the person turned to me and go, no, I thought you were getting a tank. And I go, no, I thought you were getting a tank. No, no. We had a baptism service. We had no water. We had a lot of good things, people, but we didn't have the main thing. A lot of times in life, you've got a lot of good things going on. You got a lot of friendships and activities and a lot of education opportunities and a lot of work opportunities and a lot of stuff going on, but you get distracted from the main thing. Jesus says, I want you to focus on me. I want you to be, I want, I want to be the center of your life because when I'm the center of your life, everything else is rightly ordered. It's not that he doesn't want you to do other things. He just doesn't want you to be distracted by other things. Don't get distracted from the main thing by all of the good things. It's a hierarchy of goods. Jesus is saying, let's prioritize. This is how we set our pace. We keep our eyes on the prize. Now, we know Mary is reaching the end of her rope because of the way she's getting a little hyperventilated in the way she's interacting with people. It says in verse 39 that Mary, Mary just sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary, Mary we find out, Mary was the one that broke open the, al- the alabaster box and poured it on Jesus and wiped her, his feet with her hair. Mar- Mary was somebody who wanted uh, uh, affection and, and devotion and intimacy. Martha was, was trying to get everything done, right? So it says Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. Verse 40 says that Martha said, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You know you're frustrated when you start telling Jesus what to do. Listen here, Jesus. I'm doing all this work for you. And what I need you to do, and, and you know, you start giving orders to Jesus. You need a, uh, as my kids would say, you need some milk. You need to like, you need to touch grass or whatever they say. You got to chill out is what you need to do. Here's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Intimacy is more important than activity. Intimacy is more important than activity. Activity is important. But if activity is not coming out of intimacy, it's just a formality. It becomes religion for you. You start doing things out of duty and obligation that aren't coming from the heart. You're not catalyzed by love. You're not led by love. You're doing things out of obligation, and you will get frustrated at yourself. You'll get frustrated at God, and you'll get frustrated at the people who aren't doing it like you. You'll get judgy. You'll get self-righteous. I'm not speaking out of turn because I know this, because I've done this. And I sometimes still do this. And whenever I start feeling judgy, it's because I'm not being intimate with God. Because I'm not experiencing that intimacy and devotion with God. My, my father, who was a really wonderful pastor, pastored a church in a, in a town called Lancaster, Ohio, for many years when I was a little kid. And when, when he took over this church, it was a little small church. It was the first apostolic church on Park Street in Lancaster, Ohio. Just a little church, brick church. And uh, he came in, man, he just had vision. He was on mission. He loved people. He cared for people. He preached the word and the church began to grow, exponentially grow. And it was a wonderful period of time in in our family's life. And they ended up, the church ended up buying, I want to say 40 acres out on the edge of town and built this beautiful church building. And and people from the community started coming and people were getting saved. It was just an incredible experience. And it's still a very 
flourishing church today. But uh, about two years after that time period, after about two years after having uh, built the church, the new church building, I remember my father talking. I, I want to say he actually shared it in a sermon. And, and in his own reflection, he said that the time when they were building the building was the time that he felt the most distant from God. And, and that really shook me because I thought, man, this, this is when, from my perspective, I was a little kid, but I thought, man, you were killing it then. You were doing everything for God then. You were up in the morning. You were working. You were serving. You were teaching. You were preaching. You were building. You were overseeing. You were doing all this stuff. He said, but you know what? I was not, I was not in intimate time with the Lord at that time. He goes, I was more distant from God when I was doing more from, for the Lord than ever before in my life. I was in blueprints instead of in the Bible. He said he, he was at city council meetings instead of at prayer meetings. He, he was spending time getting things done for the Lord, but he had, he had lacked the intimacy with the Lord. And so after that building project, he just started focusing back on the word and getting in, the, in, the, in, in prayer time and getting close to the Lord because he knew that intimacy is more important than activity. Let me just encourage you today. Get close to God. Get intimate with God. It's more important than all of the, all of the activities and all of the work that you can do for the Lord. Get intimate with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. Make sure that you're setting aside a Sabbath. Make sure that you're setting aside some time for silence and solitude. Make sure that you're, you're slowing your pace. Make, make sure that you're spending time with God so that, the, so that the activity of your life flows from the intimacy in your life. Anybody with me this morning? God doesn't want your activity. God wants you. He wants you. He wants your heart. So Jesus gently corrects Martha. He says this. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. He said, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not, it will not be taken from her. What he's saying is this. If you're overwhelmed by the many, focus on the one. If you're overwhelmed by all the stuff going on in your life, all the commitments, all the struggles, all the troubles, all the stuff that you've got going, take a moment and focus on the one. That's what this whole series has been about, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's focus our hearts, our minds, our lives on him. Now, here's what I want to do in the last, let's say, three minutes of this sermon. I want to give you three practical ways to do this, okay? Because it, it's one thing to go, hey, man, focus on the Lord. It's another thing for me to go, let me show you how to do it in some areas where you might be kind of frazzled, in some areas where you might be kind of scattered. We're going to start with this, relational focus. Here's the thing. Here's the, here's the practice. Commitment brings clarity. Relational focus, commitments, commitment brings clarity. Let me, say, let me just tell you this. When you make commitments in relationships, it brings clarity to those relationships. Remember the commitments that you've made and focus on those commitments. Commit to the commitments. Can I just tell you, this is a little, can I give a nugget to the single people? Single people, can I give you a quick nugget? If you've been, they don't even want to be known or seen or heard. They just don't. They're like, okay, okay. If you've been with somebody for more than six months and they don't want to put a label on it, you need to put a label on it. The label is, see you later, close for business. Why? Because commitments bring clarity. I just broke something up and made somebody free. I don't want to put a label on it means I want to keep my options open 
in case something better comes along. And that's fine, but just not at your expense. All right, church family? (laughs) When somebody says it's complicated, what they mean is I'm compromised. Okay, all right. We go. We think, my Lord. (laughs) He's like, let me get the plan so so we can get through, through here. All right, that's relational focus, financial focus. I'm calling this 10-10-80. This will free somebody because finances is such a source of struggle and frustration and anxiety for many of us. In fact, the reason Jesus talks about money more than almost any other topic is because money is the main competitor for your affection with God. Why? Not because you're greedy necessarily, but because money provides a, a shelter over your head, puts a roof over your head, puts clothes on your back, puts food in your belly, educates your children, takes care of, uh, of your life. You, you, you almost can't do anything without money. And so what, our, what happens is our tendency is our heart becomes more attached to money than it does to God because money is providing security instead of God, right? So one way to address that, to realign yourself, to focus, and to keep your eyes on the prize is what I'm calling the 10-10-80 rule. This is the one that we implemented at our house many years ago. It's what my father taught me, and it's what anybody worth their salt who knows how to, any Christian who knows how to handle money will tell you. Start by giving away 10% of your income. Just give it away. Scripture calls it a tithe. Give it away to things that matter. Give it to something that's bigger than you. Give it to the work and the mission of Jesus. Give away 10% of your income. Number two, save 10% of your income. At least on all of these. Save at least 10% of your, or invest it. Make the commitment, because otherwise you'll come to the end of the month and go, I had all these ideas about what I was going to do, and now I'm out of money. And I can't give and I can't save because I spent it all. Right? So make the commitments up front. Give 10%. Save 10%. Live on 80%. Don't ask me, because I'm not good at math, but I can do this. And this changed my life. If you want your life to be fundamentally different in five years from now, try this for five years and see what happens. It will transform your life. There'll be peace in your finances. There'll be peace in your bank account because you're focusing on what's the main thing. The third one is this, spiritual focus. And all I want to say here is God first. We are educated by Christ. We are associated with Christ. And we are imitators of Christ. In other words, what that means is every single thing you do, every every single thing you do in your life, Ask yourself, if Jesus were in my shoes, how would he do this? Or maybe even better, would he do this? Let's start with that. Would he do this? Let's put God first in every single decision we make. Jesus put it like this. He said, don't worry about your life. Matthew 6. Don't worry about your life. That's the problem. Martha's worrying. Hurry, worry, busy body. She's just freaking out because she's got too many. Don't worry about your life what you will eat, what you'll drink. Don't worry about your body, what you will wear. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, the people who don't know God, don't don't have God, they run after all these things. He says, your heavenly father knows what you need. He knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, keep your eyes on the prize. And all these things will be given to you as well. He said, I want you to focus on one thing. Focus on me. In every aspect of your life, let me be the matrix through which you run every decision. Let me be the one that you consult. Let my word be your guide. Let my spirit be your guide. Let let me guide your life. Focus on me and your life will get easy. My burden is 
light. Now, I began this series by telling you about a marathon, my one and only marathon that I ever ran. And I, and I shared with you the mistake that I made when I ran that marathon. And the mistake was I started off too early. And when you start off early, when you start off too fast, rather, I started off too fast. When, I, when you start off fast, you end up too slow. It just happens because I didn't check my pace. I was going too fast and I ended up too slow. But I want to close this series by telling you something I did right at that marathon. What I did right at that marathon is that I kept my eyes on the prize. I had one goal in that marathon 12 years ago. And that goal was to finish the race. That was my only goal. I had no complicated watch to keep my pay. All I knew is that it's 26 point something miles and I'm going to finish the race. That was my only goal. And so when my legs started getting tired, I had one goal in mind. My eyes were on the prize. I'm going to finish the race. When my lungs started beating, so my heart started beating and my lungs started getting uh, so tired, I said, I still have one goal. I'm just, I have one goal. I have my eyes on the prize. And can I just tell you this? This is such a great story. And this is the last thing I want to tell you. At about the 20 mile mark, if you've ever been in a marathon or a half marathon, you, you, you end up kind of running alongside of people because you, you, know, you have the same pace as them. So I start running alongside this guy and he's running beside me. And, and you, you get to talk and you get to know each other, right? We're at about the 20 mile mark. We got like six miles left. And we're running along and I, I find out a couple things. One, I find out that he's ran a couple marathons before. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's cool because he's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of ride along with him because he knows how to do this. So we're, run, we're running along. Now, I promise you this. This was called a rock and roll marathon in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And at every mile marker, they had a rock band. And that was fun and that was encouraging. But at mile marker 20... They had another thing. They had a tent. And in that tent, they had a table. And you're not going to believe you. You're not going to believe me when I tell you what was on the table. On the table, they had pints of beer. A beer tent at the 20-mile marker of the marathon. Now, I'm not a doctor. But I'm pretty sure that drinking pints of beer at the 20-mile marker is not going to help you finish the race. I'm just, I'm just pretty sure that's the case. Am I right, Tamara? Yeah, okay, okay. So we come running up to this 20-mile marker, and the guy running beside me, so I, I mean, I didn't even look at it. I mean, it, the, the thought passed my mind, like, there's a beer tent at the 20-mile marker? That's interesting. And that was about the end of my contemplation because I had my eyes on the prize. I'm going to finish the race. My friend that was running beside me, who had already run two marathons, thought that it would be a good idea to have a pint or two at the 20 mile marker. So he comes running along and we're running beside him. He reaches over and now he's got two pints. And he's running along and he takes one down and he takes the other one down. This is a real, this is, this is a gospel true story. And for about 250 yards, he seemed pretty refreshed. He was like, man, I'm feeling pretty good. And I thought, huh, maybe there's something to this. But about 300 yards or so later, he starts winding down. And finally, he goes like this. He goes, hey, man, you go ahead. I'm not going to make it. And I was like, you, you're not going to make it, but I'm going to make it. Why? Because I got my eyes on the prize. Because I had one single-minded focus. And let me tell you, it wasn't pretty the way I finished that race. I didn't get any awards. Nobody gave me a gold medal. I didn't get any ribbons. I didn't end up on the, the cover of Runner's World. But I finished the race. I finished the race. 
because my eyes were on the prize. Jesus is telling somebody today, here, here's the one thing. Keep your eyes on the prize. The, the scripture that we started with is the scripture we're ending with. Hebrews chapter 12. It says this. Let us run with endurance. Endurance. The race that is set before us. What are we doing with our eyes? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's check our pace. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Let's follow him. Amen, somebody? Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your kindness, your grace. When we, when we mess up, you come like you did with Martha and you say, hey, let me give you some gentle instruction and let me get you back on track. Let me refocus you. Let me recalibrate uh, you. Let me refresh you. I pray that today, Lord God, we would, each and every one of us, remember the main thing, and that's you. It's about you. Everything's about you. Our lives, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our work, our families, it's all about you. Help us to focus with unwavering focus, undistracted on you and you alone. Help us to look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you